You are listening to the Contemplative Motherhood Podcast. My name is Chelsea. I'm a teacher, practitioner, spiritual director, and pilgrim. And I'm Erin, a creative, homeschool educator, counselor, and spiritual seeker. Listen in as we dive deeper into the contemplative lifestyle through hearing about each of our lives. You'll hear our triumphs, failures, practices, and mistakes as we journey together. You might even hear a kid or two in the background. So grab some coffee, tea, curl up, and take off your shoes. You are welcome here. Now let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Contemplative Motherhood Podcast. I am Erin Thomas, and I am one of your hosts. And I am here with my bud, buddy, <laughs> Chelsea Whipple, my buddy, Um. We are actually, if you're seeing us here on YouTube for the first time, uh, here we are. Chelsea's in the closet. (laughs) Because that's just, you know, sometimes a mother needs to go into the closet Mm -hmm. to have some alone time. And we're going to talk about that today, actually. (laughs) Some form or never. Mm -hmm. And I am enjoying a smoothie for um, health is also very important in the contemplative lifestyle. (laughs) So here we are. Um, and so Charles, today we are going to talk about glimpses of solitude. Solitude sounds like such a lovely word, (laughs) right? As mothers. Um, and I want to ask you first as a lead off question and answer however you feel like, (laughs) um, but I'm curious, how can we find substantial solitude in our daily lives during the intense parts of motherhood? Okay. And also, in a sense, how is solitude traditionally found as a contemplative? And why, in your opinion, is it truly, really essential? Yeah, these are great, you know, kind of uh, questions to get us rolling because you're going to find out that I'm going to assume I'm going to talk a lot on this one. Solitude is by far probably the number one thing I personally need. And as a mother, it feels like this impossible task to pull off, you know, and or at least the times that I crave solitude. I know my personality. I know uh, my trigger points. And I know when I'm really craving solitude and it just doesn't fit my schedule. I, I just know that there's no way I'm going to be able to get away or take a few moments or whatever it is. And really that happens when it feels like times in my life is at its craziest. The house is a disaster which is about 90% of the time. I can't get a break from any angle of my life. And, you know, and I know we've mentioned this, we've probably mentioned this in almost every single episode, the joke about mothers only get breaks in showers or bathrooms or, or dads too. (laughs) And we always, but here's the thing about that joke. Okay. I always get interrupted during those times. Like my kids just, my kids follow along with me. Right. Like when I actually get to take a bath, like it's like without someone in the tub with you. Right? Yeah, it's a, <laughs> like random. I know because they sit and they hover over the bath. Like I want to go in after you. 
you know that for me yeah <laughs> anyway so okay let me get let me get back to where I was but we digress slightly yeah yeah <laughs> and so you know when those times of of craving that solitude being desperate getting in the closet going to the bathroom whatever it is being interrupted by kids you know who want to who want to join us and I know Aaron you so relate to this and I'm sure everyone listening, you so relate to this. And so I wonder, and I have this question, and I've asked myself this question lots of times, is if solitude can't be found during motherhood, is it essential to being a contemplative if it's almost impossible? Because a lot of what you read about the you know, the contemplative lifestyle, the mystic lifestyle, whatever word you want to put on it, it deals in a lot of solitude. But really, you know, if I say, is it essential? I have to answer with a yes. You know, and that's a difficult answer to give. Because for me, it is vital to find solitude. But I want us to explore a different part of solitude. Because it doesn't look the same, but it is possible. I think it's possible. So first off, it is great if you are able to spend some time with just you and the divine for weekends or even a full day once a month. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're able to do that, please do take the time to nurture this relationship in complete solitude and even silence. You know, put away those to-do lists, the worries about what is happening at home, and solely focus on this time, you know, with the creator. And I'll come back to this again later and talk about maybe if you get this chance, you know, what can you do during this time? But I want to pivot and talk about that word that you said at the beginning, Erin, which is substantial solitude during motherhood. And I am not an expert at all at this. And I always look for more ways to practice solitude. But these are some things I have found fruitful. And really, for you listeners, I hope you find fruitful as well. I find first that if I explain to my kids that, you know, mommy would like some alone time to spend with the spirit, then sometimes it works. Of course, not always. But if they understand that that's a priority and it's important to nurture, they they will listen sometimes. And it also shows my kids that priority to spend time just with them, to spend time with God, and for them to nurture that relationship as well, that it is important for them. You know, and it is me. I mean, it's a great teaching moment. I even you know, we'll try to model what it could be like talking and listening, you know, so we have conversations, we have conversations with God sitting together, or just sitting quietly, letting them know, like, you don't always have to talk, you can just sit quietly. We can do breathing exercises, sometimes reading a story or a poem. And again, it's not always successful. But it's an option. It's there. Um, you know, I've also found consistent practice of prayer time is kind of my glimpse of solitude now and then. You know, I am a morning person. I do love my mornings. 
And so I have tried kind of consistent prayer time in the morning and the, you know, just whenever I have free time or in the evening. And for me, it's always that kind of prayer time and meditation in the morning. So, but I do not wake up extra early. I do not think, okay, my kids get up this time. So I'm going to wake up 15, 30 minutes before they do. Because I have found if I wake up early, guess who also wakes up early? My kids. And they just keep waking up earlier and earlier and earlier. And then we just kind of become tired grumps all day. So I don't, I don't do that. I, I, I typically, because I'm a morning person, I don't usually need an alarm clock. I usually wake up at the same time every day. And we just do that because sometimes I need sleep, you know. Sometimes I get a little bit of sleep. Erin Aaron is laughing if you can't see her right now because she's the opposite of me in this sense. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah. So again, <laughs> this consistent practice of prayer time. For some of you, um, it might work at different times of the day. It might be that spontaneous time where you get that glimpse and that's kind of what you crave and desire. Um, but for me, if I do it consistently, it's kind of, I start to crave it and desire it each day. So, um, and then sometimes there's free solitude times. These are just the great moments where they're not predictable. It just happens and you look around and all of a sudden no kid is around you. Um, and I don't have an important task to complete at this exact moment. And if this happens, here's the thing, fight the temptation to start another task. Like, what do I need to do next? If you have that free solitude time for just a few minutes, take that time or however long that you're able to and just enjoy it. Do whatever helps you to see or feel the presence of the divine. It could be sitting in your beautiful, simple gray chair. It could be sitting down to eat a meal slowly and just being in the moment. You know, check in. How do you feel today? You know, what's going on? Take some breaths. You know, look around. Notice those surroundings. Be present. Just be present during this time. Now my favorite retreats. Oh, yes. <laughs> that makes me take a deep breath. <laughs> this is probably the least that we get, but it they do exist. There are retreats and sometimes they're structured and sometimes there's unstructured. Sometimes there's retreat centers you can go to usually in the city you live in or near you. And in the beginning, I spoke of kind of getting away from some alone time, if you could. So I'm going to circle back to this point on what do you do during these alone times? Because it is, it is important for a contemplative to have solitude. But as mothers, you know, we really do what we can and when we can. So that doesn't happen all the time. But if you can schedule a weekend or even a day of solitude. I recommend, or at least at one point, do a retreat alone. Don't use it as a time to distract yourself with an activity. 
Vacations are great. I love vacations. In fact, Erin and I are both getting ready to go on vacation, different vacations, and we're both looking forward to it. But yes, we are taking our families with us. And sometimes that means a lot of chaos of activity. But there could be a slip in of, you know, some solitude times during those retreats because you're not at home doing chores or other tasks. Um, but a retreat isn't like a vacation in that sense. It's not built around activities. It's really built around those times of resting and being with yourself. So the point is this. You know, the time you spend in solitude is invaluable. We hear noises all the time. We answer questions all the time. We meet everyone's needs all the time. You know, in solitude offers us a way to not have to do those things. The goal is to be intentional during this time, to invite the divine into this space, and really to get to know ourselves, to spend time with ourselves. I mean, we get to know our kids, we get to know others, but how much do we get to know ourselves? It's tempting. But don't wander your thoughts into a distant, far-off world or worry about what is next. You know, I've sat here for five minutes quiet. Now what do I need to do? Just be in that moment. Be present to this exact moment. You know, we can lose ourselves in motherhood. Just doing, getting things done, making sure everyone's safe, accomplishing tasks. And this is an opportunity to find ourselves again, find out who we are, how we've grown. Erin loves to talk about checking in and inventory. And I think that's a good point here. It allows you to check in with yourself and have a real inventory. Be gracious and compassionate to yourself. If you're not good at being quiet, if you're not good at putting the next task down, give yourself compassion. That's okay. Acknowledge that feeling like, I'm just not good at this. And, you know, sit with it and wonder, is there something else that that would make me present? be present and intentional better. I like to watch how slow the world moves when I'm not sprinting from one task to the to the other. I mean in reality like this day has flown by because I've gone here and there and you know check things off but as I sit here with you all it just feels slower. Time feels slower. You know journal if you want to journal your feelings, journal a conversation, write a poem if you've never done it before. And again, it's about being intentional, aware, and present. So, Chelsea, I'm going to interject here because yeah, please do. Great, this is so good. Um, and, and it's interesting to hear your perspective 
knowing your personality as well as knowing my personality and the differences. And and I quite a bit of our listeners are, are gonna have a different way of approaching solitude and finding solitude. Um one of the things that I found challenging about solitude, um, and this, I don't know if you're familiar with Enneagram at all. Um, I'm going to interject that here, but um, I am an Enneagram 7. And so I, uh, we're the life of the party, right? <laughs> um, but so being quiet, being still, being in a place of solitude, um, being in touch with our emotional being can be a challenge. Um, so you may find that different aspects of your personality uh, are, are contrary to this. That's just a reality. And, and for me, this also involves a level of vulnerability that's involved. And, you know, when it's just you and you're sitting there and it's just our thoughts and I find oftentimes that if we're honest with ourselves, there is an element of fear involved with that. Um, There's a fear that surfaces about being quiet and alone in a culture that is so rapidly paced and especially in motherhood, which is so rapidly paced and depending on what season you're in, um, I wonder, Chels, can you unpack that a bit and give us some thoughts about how to face this challenge of vulnerability? And if we face the fear head on in contemplative motherhood lifestyle, what benefits, what fruits have you seen as a result of this practice? Yeah. And I'm really glad you brought that up, Erin, because, you know, Erin and I are are different and, you know, we we think definitely different. Our Enneagram number is different. I'm a six. She's a seven. Um, and I am an introvert. Right. So solitude to me complements my personality. And that doesn't mean to say if you're an extrovert, you're not going to want solitude. But there is a difference. I, I mean, everyone's difference. And there is a fear of being alone. Of what will, who am I going to face if I'm alone? And I think that's very brave if you're willing to to still get past that and do that and find out who you are. When no one's telling you who you are or you're not, you know, if you're used to um, accomplishing things to tell you who you are. When those are kind of gone, or at least put on hold, there is a fear to figure out of facing yourself. And that is, that is so true. And it does exist and it is out there. And I, and I can only speak for myself. You know, I did do a a 10 day intensive class that I had to do during the pandemic. And so we weren't allowed to gather. We did it all online, but I got away for those 10 days because I just couldn't do it with my kids. So, um, and I was all alone during those break times. And even though I like solitude, that was a lot of solitude. That was a lot of aloneness. 
And it was interesting. It really was. And I learned a lot by myself. But I was bored a lot. Um, but it, it, it was probably where I learned about myself the most and where I could check in with myself. You know, because these quiet and alone times is where we learn. Um, when we're not rushed to one task and, and the next. So, you know, I'm, I am going to be vulnerable for a moment in this solitude and kind of try to bear, bear myself a little bit. So hopefully people are feel comfortable with solitude more if, if there is a fear behind it. So I have a story, as usual, because stories always help me. And it helps me to explain how solitude really impacts how I approach motherhood. So I have this deep desire. One of my deep desires that I can feel is to spread compassion to the world. And since I recognize this passion, I notice it more when someone does it. They do an act of compassion or I see that someone needs it. And I know that the spirit is calling me to express this compassion in ways I am unfamiliar with or uncomfortable with. You know, a few times in my solitude, if I had those little glimpses, I kept replaying this argument I was having with my oldest son. So just a bit of background. For the previous school year, or for the 2020-2021 school year, uh, my son during the pandemic was learning remotely from home by computer with a class full of kids and, let me tell you, a very patient teacher. God bless this this lady. Give her a moment of silence. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so this argument that we would have felt like we were on this Ferris wheel that kept going around and around and around. So which meant for us, no one was winning this argument. And so for a few sets of solitude, I could not get my mind undistracted by this. And, you know, I I tried all the normal steps that I do to clear my mind by breathing, letting the argument go, chiming my meditation bowl. Nothing was working. So I knew it was important. So I stayed with it. And maybe it was a point that I feel like the divine was trying to show me, to reveal to me. And so when I sat with it, I, my perspective shifted and I now could open my eyes to see how my son was viewing all of this. So here was my son. He's just started school. Okay. He was in first grade when this happened. Okay. A first grader. And he was really struggling with this type of school online. It was not his learning style. He did not like it. And no, he didn't want to do what I kept saying was just deal with it. I can't change it. You're just going to have to figure out, figure it out. And I saw him for who he was, a seven-year-old boy, desperately wanting connection, who's bouncing around full of energy and just honestly tired of this way of schooling. And through that, my compassion swelled within me. And I was wanting him to see school the way I see school, where it's just important. You know, you just have to do school. We all survived. But I wasn't the one. I don't know what it's like. I wasn't the one on the computer every day, literally trying to learn how to read, how to write, how to add, subtract, etc. 
And so in he was at home. So home is where he gets to play and have unstructured time. And now is a place where he sleep, eats, goes to school. Everything is just at home. It was this solitude time that I was having where this all replayed in my head, where I could reorient myself and see things as they are really happening in the present to really change my perspective. So I personally find many benefits to this practice. I am more patient with my kids when I've had time, the solitude time. I notice my feelings more. Like I sit with my feelings, like, why am I upset? And yes, sometimes it's because I'm hungry. I do crave solitude even more. And that helps me to be more present in the moment, to notice my surroundings, to notice what's going through, you know, those moments. And I find being intentional opens my eyes, you know, where you literally feel like you have a new vision where you can see clearly and not everything as a blur. You know, if I kind of go through my day at the end of the day, I actually can see the steps of what happened. Maybe not everything, but not like, oh gosh, I don't know what happened for the first four hours. I was in la-la land. You know, and most of all, I become aware of the divine that filters through every part of my being. And, you know, we've talked about stillness before. That was in, you know, one of our first episodes. I think it was episode four. And so just to distinguish a bit between stillness and solitude. So for me, solitude is a time where I am in a quiet place alone. It might be for a minute, maybe even an hour or a day, where stillness is kind of those moments that are more fleeting, and they can be unintentional during the time. So I think of stillness as anchor points throughout my day that bring me to focus on the present moment. Like a moment of stillness for me I mentioned was eating where I had to kind of sit and just be still for a moment and take that as an intentional time to notice my surroundings. Where solitude is really that intentional time that you're setting aside of being alone with the sacredness, however you define sacredness. Yeah. So this is really interesting to me, Chelsea. And one of the reasons that Um, I'm glad you unpacked that because when I first started in this lifestyle, I was not familiar with the difference between stillness and solitude. Um, And as we've said, I am by nature an extrovert. And um, although I do recognize my need for solitude and what happens if I don't have it. In one of our prior episodes, we talked about, and I think I mentioned this actually maybe in my bio, um, that I struggled significantly with rest. Mm. How that's different from solitude as well. Um, I shared, for example, that I associated rest with sleep. And when in fact, it's not always like that. And so I wonder if you can sort of unpack that a little bit, if there are differences in the practice of rest and solitude, and if there are similarities. Yeah, yeah. And that's a really good point just to, you know, keep unpacking is that 
you know, solitude is that intentional time kind of getting away. And then what you can do during solitude is these different things where, you know, rest could be one of them. And I do want to point out that I don't find it helpful to force solitude when what I really need is rest. So for example, it is why I do not wake up earlier than I need. Because to me, and you know, rest isn't equal to sleep, but sleep can be rest. So I don't wake up any earlier because I do, I I am one, I'm a person who needs sleep. And I know when I don't get sleep. And so sleep is very important for my body and my mind. I just don't function as well if I don't get sleep. And so if I'm craving solitude, but my body really is just very tired during it, it's kind of one of those things where it's time to to take a nap or something. And to, you know, to listen to what your body needs. And sometimes being in solitude can really open yourself to what your body needs. You know, because what Erin said when she's drinking her smoothie is that our bodies are extremely important to the contemplative lifestyle because we're trying to kind of find a wholeness with everything in our lives, our body, mind, and spirit, you know, our emotional health, our physical health, our spiritual health, all those, those, you know, words are just to say that that complete wholeness includes our bodies. And so it's okay to rest during your solitude moments. And Aaron, as Aaron mentioned, again, that rest does not equal sleep. It can be sleep, but it also can be just a quieting of the mind where sometimes our bodies need sleep and sometimes our minds need rest where the mind has been going You know, I think in the rituals episode, I talk about overheating the brain. And like, this is just a way to reset the brain in solitude is recognizing that my mind is exhausted and I just want to be quiet and rest my mind in the moment. And that's also a part of what you can do during solitude is that rest, whether it's body sleeping or mind quieting the mind rest. And And that happens a lot for me during solitude. You know, when I do my intentional times in the morning, I'm, you know, have woken up. Sometimes I'm still tired. Sometimes I'm kind of ready for the day and it's good. But then there's other times where I find myself able to do a little bit more solitude and I just want to rest. I just want to sit in the chair and just kind of be present, but not think or do anything, you know. And to me, those are both wonderful times of solitude that I think are intentional practices. But, you know, Erin, I have talked so much (laughs) and, you know, I, you have so much to offer and I'm wondering if you would be willing to dive deeper, you know, in how solitude works in your life and you, if you find it important as a contemplative. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate, um, your teaching points too, Chelsea, because I think it's really important as a contemplative mother to understand what the different types of solitude and how they work. Um, because quite often we, as I talk about inventorying your needs, can't always pinpoint exactly what we need if we are not in tune with um, our our bodies. And uh, solitude is a huge thing when it comes to um, recognizing the needs for my body. Um, I 
will share a little bit of a personal story. And I've oddly enough shared this recently on social media, but um, I have had some health issues in the past and um, was always just a go, go, go girl. Um, I have never, ever been able to be still. Um, and it was, wasn't until I saw a lot of warning signs um, internally and um, throughout my body in, in health ways that I recognized that there was something missing, right? And so we talk about how intentional this is and how intentional uh, solitude is. And, and I think one of the most important reasons it is, you know, pivotal in contemplative motherhood is because um, our bodies go through a lot as a mom. Um, we are up and running around and chasing after children and toddlers, depending on what season you're in. Maybe you're in and out of the car dropping children off and um, being a chauffeur just sort of depends on what season of life you're in. Um, but when we talk about the fruitfulness of and the benefits of solitude, um, how often are we going to recognize those if we aren't listening to our warning signs? Mm -hmm. And for me, that was one of those things where I was not listening to the warning signs of my body needing solitude. And as a result, rest was part of that. Um, but, you know, that's that's really important to share is that when you do notice warning signs of hey, notice what they are specifically for you and for your personality. If I'm an extrovert and as a seven Enneagram, it's not as easy for me to, I'm super social. So there's always a level of social engagement and, and activities that I plan for myself and for my family that um, don't always align with the practice of solitude that I know I need as a contemplative mother. Um. One of the things that you spoke about, Chelsea, and I completely agree with is also what we're doing, and we've talked about this in other episodes, is showing our children what exactly these practices look like. And as a result, I feel like so often for me, it has simplified the practice. Solitude in particular um, is something that is challenging in my home. We are all extroverted. And so there is very minimal quiet. There's always dialogue and conversation. There is noise. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with that. Um, I enjoy my gregarious animated family. <laughs> Um, but recognizing and conjoining that solitude also connects me to the divine. And that is ultimately what I'm looking for here. The other day I was talking to my son, um, who is, I'm pretty sure he's also, uh, very much a seven. He's very extroverted. They call him the mayor of the neighborhood because he knows everyone. He likes to kiss all the babies. He, um, you know, just enjoys, he knows everyone's dog's name and, um, 
he's just a, a fun kid, but he struggles with solitude. And in a sense, as his mom, I have a compassion for that and feel feel for him in that sense because I know it's also intentional for me as well. So one of the ways we talked about it and I realized as we simplified this practice, it also became less intimidating to me. We talked about for him, um, if a cell phone, if you're on your cell phone all day and you're scrolling or his iPad or his tablet, whatever, he doesn't have a cell phone. So I used his tablet, for example. If you're on your tablet all day, every day, and you're going from one app to another and, and one video to another, and there is a constant scrolling in your mind, right? Um, we eventually, the tablet dies. And we talk about, it's so funny because I talk to my kids about this all the time. It's like such a simple concept, right? You plug in the battery pack and it, or the plug and it, you charge the tablet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for some reason for my kids, that seems to be a really difficult challenge. I don't understand. We know what it does, mm-hmm. but yet we still, and, and my daughter especially will get so upset if her tablet is dead. And I said, honey, you know, this is how we solve this problem. We plug in the charger and we plug the tablet into the power source. And that was an example I used for him when I could notice that his body was tired, Mm -hmm. that he needed solitude, and he didn't exactly understand what that meant. And so we developed a term in our home. Um, well, it was it didn't originate with us, but um, a lovely mentor of mine shared this with me. And it's called Feet Off the Floor Time. And this was a time, this is a time every day in our home, Monday through Friday, that my children have to keep their feet off of the floor. And this looks different for each child. Um, but it is a time in which they can rest, they can pray, um, or they can imagine. And that's it. Um, and that's hard. So when we first started that practice of solitude and this time in the middle of the day, it was rough, guys. Um, but now they know it's called feet off the floor. And simplifying that practice for them has also simplified it in my day because now that is my time of solitude and it is a feet off the floor time. Um, For them, that means no running and no jumping on the couch. For me, that means sitting in my simple gray chair. But I think as you flesh out this practice in your home and for yourself, when you start making the small steps and simplifying it, you'll find that there obviously is a discipline that goes along with it um, because our minds are naturally one of those things that just want to keep going. But at the same time, um, you'll slowly start to notice the fruits. Uh, So that's my little story. I hope that helps in, in some sense if you can apply this to your home with your children. Um, It's great. It doesn't always turn out the way we desire, but um, I want to thank you, Chels, for unpacking this with us. And 
in such a lovely and really succinct way. Um, I feel really inspired by this and uh, want to continue to look for those anchors and those points and notice my warning signs. So um, as always, we will end in a practice and Chelsea is going to lead us through this particular portion. Yeah. So the practice for this episode, of course, is to take an intentional time of solitude. So I'd like for you, we'd like for you to do this practice when you have at least 10 minutes of time by yourself. Obviously, it couldn't be more, but at least 10 minutes. So go to a place, wherever that is, where you can rest your mind and are not distracted by your external surroundings, meaning you're not thinking about what toys need to be picked up from the floor. Yes, like me who's in a closet right now, a closet works. And when when you're in this space, try and center yourself in your body, meaning limit your exterior movements. Be in a comfortable position. Take a deep breath and breathe out all the worries. Breathe out all the distractions. Breathe out all the to-dos and allow your mind to rest. If thoughts pop up, use a simple phrase that brings you back to the present moment. A favorite of mine is always let go. You can use the word breathe. You can use the word love. Just whatever that awareness phrase is that reminds you to just let it go. Let it go, the thoughts that are in your mind. Try not to engage your senses. And just simply keep breathing. And that's it. Rest your mind and breathe. It's it's not going to be easy the first time. But it does get easier as a regular practice. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, I feel like every podcast episode when we talk about some of these practices, I just feel like I want to take a deep breath and stretch, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, As always, sharing a quote for today. Um, This quote in particular is from uh, Wild Mercy. It's by Mirabai Star. And the quote says, The more you intentionally turn inward the more available the sacred becomes. When you sit in silence and you turn your gaze towards the holy mystery you once called God, the mystery follows you back out into the world. Gracious, I hope that is what is going to happen to our listeners this week. So thank you again for joining us. Thanks, Charles, for unpacking this episode with us, and we will see you soon. Thank you again for joining us today on the Contemplative Motherhood Podcast with us, your host, Aaron Thomas and Chelsea Whipple. To get regular updates on our podcast, hear new episode drops, interact with us about past and future episodes, and find our show notes, make sure to go to our website, www.contemplativemotherhood.org. As always, we appreciate your support of this podcast and in helping us share our journey with others. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to subscribe, 
rate and leave us a review. This helps us to cross paths with other pilgrim mamas across the board. So until next time.